Chapter Twelve of Coffee and Repartee. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Coffee and Repartee by John Kendrick Bangs. Chapter Twelve. If my father hadn't met with reverses, the idiot began. Did you really have a father? interrupted the schoolmaster. I thought you were one of these self made idiots. How terrible it must be for a man to think that he is responsible for you. Yes, rejoined the idiot. My father finds it rather hard to stand up under his responsibility for me, but he is a brave old gentleman, and he manages to bear the burden very well with the aid of my mother, for I have a mother too, Mr. Pedagog. A womanly mother she is too, with all the natural follies, such as fondness for and belief in her boy. Why, it would soften your heart to see how she looks on me. She thinks I am the most everlastingly brilliant man she ever knew, excepting father, of course who has always been a hero of heroes in her eyes, because he never rails at misfortune, never spoke an unkind word to her in his life, and just lives gently along and waiting for the end of all things. Do you think it is right in you to deceive your mother in this way, making her think you a young Napoleon of intellect when you know you are an idiot? observed the bibliomaniac with a twinkle in his eye. Why, certainly I do, returned the idiot calmly. It's my place, to make the old folks happy if I can. And if thinking me nineteen different kinds of a genius is going to fill my mother's heart with happiness, I'm going to let her think it. What's the use of destroying other people's idols, even if we do know them, to be hollow mockeries? Do you think you do a praiseworthy act, for instance, when you kick over the heathen's stone gods and leave him without any at all? You may not have noticed it, but I have, that it is easier to pull down an idol than it is to rear an ideal. I have had idols shattered myself, and I haven't found that the pedestals they used to occupy have been rented since. They are there yet and empty, standing as monuments to what once seemed good to me, and I'm no happier nor no better for being disillusioned. So it is with my mother. I let her go on and think me perfect. It does her good." and it does me good because it makes me try to live up to that idea of hers as to what I am. If she had the same opinion of me that we all have, she'd be the most miserable woman in the world. We don't all think so badly of you, said the doctor, rather softened by the idiot's remarks. No, put in the bibliomaniac. You are all right. You breathe normally, and you have nice blue eyes. You are graceful and pleasant to look upon and if you'd been born dumb, we'd esteem you very highly. It is only your manners and your theories that we don't like. But even in these we are disposed to believe that you are a well-meaning child. That is precisely the way to put it, assented the schoolmaster. You are harmless even when most annoying. For my own part, I think the most objectionable feature about you is that you suffer from that unfortunately not uncommon malady, extreme youth. You are young for your age, and if you only wouldn't talk, I think we should get on famously together. You overwhelm me with your compliments, said the idiot. I am sorry I am so young, but I cannot be brought to believe that that is my own fault. One must live to attain age, and how the deuce can one live when one boards? As no one ventured to reply to this question, the force of which very evidently, however, was fully appreciated by Mrs. Smithers, the idiot continued. Youth is thrust upon us in our infancy, and must be endured until such a time as fate permits us to account ourselves cured. 
It swoops down upon us when we have neither the strength nor the brains to resent it. Of course there are some superior persons in this world who never were young. Mr. Pedagog, I doubt not, was ushered into this world with all three sets of teeth cut, and not wailing as most infants are, but discussing the most abstruse philosophical problems. His fairy stories were told him, if ever, in words of ten syllables, and his father's first remark to him was doubtless an inquiry as to his opinion on the subject of Latin and Greek in our colleges. It's all right to be this kind of a baby, if you like that sort of thing. For my part, I rejoice to think that there was once a day when I thought my father a mean-spirited assassin, because he wouldn't tie a string to the moon and let me make it rise and set as suited my sweet will. Babies of Mr. Pedagog's sort are unfortunately like angels' visits, few and far between. In spite of his stand in the matter, though, I can't help thinking. There was a great deal of truth in a rhyme a friend of mine got off on youth. It fits the case. He said, Youth is a state of being we attain. In early years, to some, tis but a crime. And, like the mumps, most aged men complain. It can't be caught, alas, a second time. Your rhymes are interesting, and your reasoning, as usual, is faulty, said the schoolmaster. I passed a very pleasant childhood, though it was a childhood devoted, as you have insinuated, to serious rather than to flippant pursuits. I wasn't particularly fond of tag and hide-and-seek, nor do I think that even as an infant I ever cried for the moon. It would have expanded your chest if you had, Mr. Pedagog, observed the idiot quietly. So it would, but I never found myself short-winded, sir, retorted the schoolmaster with some acerbity. That is evident, but go on, said the idiot. You never passed a childish youth nor a youthful childhood, and therefore what? Therefore, in my present condition, I am normally contented. I have no youthful follies to look back upon, no indiscretions to regret. I never knowingly told a lie, and— All of which proves that you never were young, put in the idiot, and you will excuse me if I say it, but my father is the model for me rather than so exalted, a personage as yourself. He is still young, though turned seventy, and I don't believe on his own account there ever was a boy who played hooky more— who prevaricated oftener, who purloined others' fruits with greater frequency than he. He was guilty of every crime in the calendar of youth, and if there is one thing that delights him more than another, it is to sit on a winter's night before the crackling log and tell us yarns about his youthful follies and his boyhood indiscretions. But is he normally a happy man? queried the schoolmaster. No. Ah! No, he's an abnormally happy man because he's got his follies and indiscretions to look back upon and not forward to. Ahem, said Mrs. Smithers. Dear me, ejaculated Mr. Whitechoker. Mr. Pedagog said nothing, and the breakfast room was soon deserted. End of chapter 12